it's time to dream again about what the church could be. This vision is intended to come from Christ himself. So what does he want from his church and how do we reclaim it? Join us as we journey through the New Testament to discover how the ancient paths inform the future church. Well, we're so glad you are here with us this morning. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend. I want to welcome you as we are now in October. It's fall, y'all, right? As they say, you know, there's a sign somewhere that says that there's all kinds of signs around fall. Uh, so it's it's exciting time of year, and we are so glad you are here with us today. As we're continuing our teaching series called Future Church, we're looking at the ancient paths that we find in the New Testament to understand the vision that God has for his church, for our lives, because we want to make sure we're going in the right direction. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. If you are going to meet somebody or you are going to go to their house, how would you go about getting the information where they live at. How would you do that? Would you say, hey, draw me a map? Would you say, hey, uh, just tell me? Or would you ask, text me your address? Text me the address, right? That's the common way that we do it these days, right? We're like, hey, just send me your address. And we use this thing called the GPS, right, on our phones. And I'm so grateful for a GPS because I'm really bad at directions. So it's very, very helpful. In fact, I was officiating a wedding yesterday for, for my nephew, and we had such a great time celebrating. But the place where it was, I'm not familiar with. And so the GPS tells you exactly when to turn, when there's going to be the stop sign that's coming up that you need to go past or you need to turn at, right? It's so helpful in that way. And wouldn't it be great if life was like that, right? That you would get direction about your life, like you get directions going to a location that, hey, you're to turn here, you're to say this, you're not to say that, you know, just line by line feeding you the information you need so you could know that you're going in the right direction. But often it's not like a GPS in life. It's often like a corn maze. And how many of you guys like corn mazes, by the way? Show of hands, like a corn maze. Fall y'all again, right? Falls the time of year. Uh, last weekend, my family and I, we went to a corn maze. And when we went to this corn maze, one of the things that they didn't provide was a map to let you know how to make your way through the corn maze at all. In fact, what they did is they told you what not to do when you're in the corn maze. Don't mess with the corn, they said, right? They said, don't, don't throw things on the ground, right? They, they say all kinds of things like that, but not helpful information about actually getting out of the corn maze, you know, there's no helpful information regarding that. And my wife is really good at directions, by the way. But all you saw when you go through this corn maze is more and more rows of corn. And here's the thing that's tricky about a corn maze. As you're going, you think you're going the right direction. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm in a dead end or I'm just going back to where I started, right? There's like the circle you go through. And so there's this corn maze experience that we had and we were there and and it was getting so bad that we were there about an hour in the corn maze. My wife, who again is good at directions, was tempted to pull out her phone and say, let me use the GPS. I said, no, we're not using the GPS. This is a family fun experience and adventure that we are having. We are going to make memories right now. You put that phone away. You put that phone away. 
And then we finally made it out of the corn maze. We got to our direction. This is my wife, Amy. She is just rejoicing. She is just so thankful. Hallelujah. I didn't think we were going to make it. You know, in, in fall, it feels like it's going to be uh, cooler than it actually be- is. And so for Amy, it was warmer that day. And so she was like, man, I'm really hot going around and around in this corn maze. But life, again, can often feel that way, where it looks like we're in the right direction, but it turns out we are in a dead end or we're going in circles. But then it's sweet relief when we reach our destination, when we reach our destination. And so as we think about that idea of direction, I want to give this to us this morning. And it's simply a question, what direction is your life going in? What direction is your life going in? Is your direction going round and round, it feels? Are you getting into a dead end? Are you going towards a path that's marked with the hope and peace and love that's found in Jesus, the joy that he brings? What is the direction? What is the direction your life is taking? Where, where are you? And where are you headed? And then the next part of this is simply that decisions we make determine the direction of our life. Decisions we make determine the direction of our life. Now, I want you to not hear, because this is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there are decisions we make that we look back on and we say, man, I wish I could have done this differently, or hey, there's no hope for me. That's not what I'm talking about. Because every choice decision that we make, God in his goodness towards us can turn into good, right? He can do something in us even through those painful decisions or pain that comes our way. What I'm really talking about is rather the trajectory of our life. What are we giving ourselves to? What is the ongoing focus, priorities of our lives? And that's seen in the decisions that we make. Again, decisions we make determine the direction of our life. The decisions we make determine the direction of our life. Now, as we think about that in the context of this future church series, one of the things that we're going to hear today is a real personal note that the Apostle Paul writes to his protege, Timothy. And Timothy was a man who was known to be timid. He was a young man. He was known to be timid. And so Paul, as you're going to hear him write specifically to Timothy, is calling him forward and reminding him of the direction his life's to take and how if he'll take this direction, how it will not only impact him, but it will impact the people in his life, and it will ultimately impact the church. And I think that's true for us as well. Though this letter wasn't written specifically to us, and it was Paul writing to Timothy, there are implications for us to understand the direction of our life. So what we're going to do today is we're going to work through 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, and we're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1 here, verse 1. So if you want to follow along on the screen, you can download it through the app that we have, Riverbend app. You can see the verses there or use your Bible app. And there's also free copies of the Bible on your way out this morning. But listen to what Paul says here to Timothy, his protege, 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says this, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by, what's the word here? By demons. How fitting as we're getting close to Halloween, right? Talking little demons here, right? Taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared with a, as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry 
and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is what? What's the word here? It's good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. And so Paul writes here to his protege, Timothy. He says, listen, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is saying, in the later times, some are going to abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. And when we hear this language, deceiving spirits and, and things taught by demons, again, so many of us, we're like, man, that doesn't exist in our sophisticated mindset as Americans. But all throughout the scriptures, you see this come up again and again, that we have an enemy that wants to lead us astray. He wants to lead us astray. He wants us to be deceived. He wants us to believe lies about God, about ourselves, and about others. He wants us to live lies. Because when we live lies, we're coming in agreement with who he is and what he has for our lives. But we know that he and his demons, Satan and his demons, he's a fallen angel that because of pride grabbed a hold of his heart, tried to dethrone God. And he's trying to take with him as many people as possible. And it's so convincing, and sometimes it's so subtle. It's these subtle lies that he tells us about ourselves and about our lives. It's so much so that when you look at the life of Jesus, one of the things that you hear when he has to take on Satan himself, it's not the lies that are explicit like we would hear them, like, hey, go steal something. Hey, go murder this person. That's not what he's tempted with. He's tempted with, hey, God doesn't know what's best for your life. Your heavenly father doesn't know what's best. So you must take control of the situation. You must do it in opposition to what he has for you because he doesn't know what's best for you and he's holding out on you. And we live in a day and age right now, just to be very honest with you, where we say things, this is my truth. This is my truth. And when we say things like that, I understand the sentiment of it. Because some of it is, yes, this is your experience. But when we say, this is my truth, it's very tempting to think I'm the ultimate authority of my life and what it is that life's intended to be, including what the church is created to be. And I just want to help us to say this morning, you're not the ultimate authority and neither am I. We have one that is lifted up beyond ourselves. And that is the creator of all these good things that Paul goes on to mention here, right? And he talks about what it does to our lives when we follow these deceiving spirits, these things that are taught by demons. We step into a place where we're not walking into freedom, even though it feels like freedom in the moment, even though we're convinced it's freedom. We start to become numb to the way of life. When he says their conscience are seared, as with a hot iron, it means they don't feel anymore. They don't feel what's truth and what's lies. They don't feel the pain that they're inflicting on themselves and on others. They have no conviction about these things. And Paul goes on to call them hypocritical liars. And hypocritical liars are those who ask you to do something, but they themselves don't do. They ask you to go off the full length of the, film, the field, but they only go to the 20-yard line. 
They're barely even touching these things that they're talking about and describing and saying, hey, this is life, this is life. And Paul says, no, these are barriers. This chokes out the life that God has created and intended you for. And again, these lies are so subtle. It would, it would be like me believing, for example, that Amy and I, who we are, by the way, we're happily married. So as I'm telling this illustration, I want you to know that on the front end. But it's like me believing and Amy believing, hey, you know what? We met when we were so young. We were 18 years old when we met. And you know what? Because we met when we were so young, we didn't know who we really were. And as a result of getting married when we were 23 years old, we had no business getting married. And you know what would be better for Amy and for myself? is for us to end our marriage. For us to end our marriage because neither one of us is happy. And because neither one of us is happy, and because our experience is telling us this, all of a sudden, the facts and the truth of a covenant of love and what that means and what God asks for me goes out the window. And you know what? Amy would be happier. I would be happier if we started to randomly hook up with different people, if we found another spouse. Wouldn't that be better for everybody involved? Wouldn't that be better for our son, Ray? He doesn't want to see his mom and dad not happy, right? These are the kind of lies that the enemy tells us. And these things are not true. These things are not true, but they sound really convincing. Because when I say I'm the standard of truth, all of a sudden, what I feel, my experiences, all those things become the highest authority instead of God's authority on my life and what he has for me. And you think about that whole thing in your own life. How is the accuser, and we're going to talk about him in a couple of weeks here, the accuser of the brethren, as Satan's called, coming at you. What are those lies he bombards you with? What are those things that are untrue? What are those things when, when you look at the scriptures and, and what they say and you filter them through the lens of the scripture and, and the way of Jesus? How are they hindering you? How are they choking out the life that God's called you to? Because it's interesting how Paul contrasts to Timothy this way of life of people saying, hey, hold out on these things that are gifts. And in that context, it was like, hey, they forbid you to not marry, right? They say, hey, if you're not married, you're hitting a higher level of spirituality. I think sometimes the church is guilty of the other side. Hey, if you're single, you're less spiritual than those who are married. And that is not biblical either. That's another form of choking out the life that God has called us to and created us for. What is it? What are those barriers? And we talked briefly about this in, the, uh, in, in this teaching series already, but I just want you to think, what are those things that are hindering us from seeing God as he is and thanking him for the gifts that he's given to us? What are those things in your lives? And this brings us to the first point here. When we follow deceptive voices, it leads to disastrous results. When we follow deceptive voices, it leads to disastrous results. And how do you know if it's deceptive? Well, Paul makes it really clear. There's some marks here. And he tells Timothy to to pray and and preach the word and, and things are consecrated. When our lives are marked by seeking God and being in a relationship with them and, and letting the scriptures lead us. There's this consecratedness to who we are. It's all filtered through that. And we can't help but say thank you. Right? There's this thanksgiving. But these deceptive voices, it minimizes who God is and convinces us that God's holding us back. 
It convinces us, oh, he, he couldn't possibly know what's best for you. You're the ultimate standard, not him. See, he's trying to hinder your life. Isn't this the same thing he did to Adam and Eve in the garden, by the way? Right? He says things like them that sound convincing. He twists God's word. He twists the scriptures. And that's why we need to be a people who are rooted in the scripture and prayer. Not just so we know information, but so that information can lead to our formation and then lead to our transformation. That we would be fully, fully developed in the way of Jesus. That we'd be formed in him in such a way that we are joining him and letting him change our character, and that we are taking on his competencies, what he was about as he walked the earth. Well, it continues on here in 1 Timothy 4. He says this, If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tells rather train yourself to be what's the word here to be godly for physical training is of some value but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living god who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. And so when you hear what he says, he says to Timothy, you're going to be a good minister if you point these things out. You're going to nourish and be nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. This is going to be good for you. This is going to add life and value. Your life is going in a direction, a direction where this will not only provide you to be a good minister, but this will be good for you. And I want us to hear this because he says, hey, don't have anything to do that with these godless myths. Because in this culture, and in our culture, by the way, there's a temptation to sound really smart and intelligent. But when you look at what's said, and then you examine it, you biopsy it, it lacks true power. Is what Paul would go on to say. They have the appearance of being godly, but lack power. He goes on to say that in Timothy. They're always learning. They're always learning, but never walking in the power of the gospel. There's not deep change from the inside to the outside of who we are. And he says, have nothing to do with that. And then he talks about physical training. And how physical training, it does have some value, right? You just ask Pastor Chris, right? He's, he's a big proponent of this, right? Physical training, exercising. It has value. But he says, you know what has more value? Becoming godly, stepping into the person that Christ has called us to be. And this is this idea of formation, being formed in the person of Jesus and in his ways. To understand that when we do that, we walk not only in becoming like Christ, but this is the life that he comes to give us, a life that's marked with abundance and fullness, this life that's marked with this great joy. And he says, hold on to that which matters most. And if you keep doing this, if you keep laboring and striving, we're holding out the hope that's found in him. And this is what Paul was charging Timothy to strive and work towards. And you know what? For every one of us, we don't have to be a pastor. 
to step into what Paul's asking of Timothy. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are formed in his ways, you are invited to experience that in your own life and to invite others to experience this as well. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to think that we have a part to play in that. Well, as we continue on here, and it's simply this, this point I want to give you, that when we grow in godliness, we are given the gift of life. When we grow in godliness, we are given the gift of life. This is what Paul says. He says, hey, there's, there's this gift that's yours. When you go after godliness, when you go after being formed by Christ and then transformed, there's this life that you step into, a life that starts today, this fullness of life, this life marked with joy, hope, and peace. This is the destination for you. But then there's this life, this future life. There's this today life, and then there's this future tomorrow life. When this life that we live on this earth is over. And he says, when we grow in godliness, we are given the gift of life. And as we consider that, and as we think about what Paul and Timothy had relationally going on, it leads us to really ask this, this simple question. And it's, it's this, who is your apprenticeship with? Who is your apprenticeship with? Let's just a- ask that out loud together on three. One, two, three. Who is your apprenticeship with? One of the things that we often miss when we read the scriptures is that people would apprentice under a master teacher or tradesman. Or they would, they would come under. They would learn. They would learn the skills in the way of life. And, and as you think about that, this is really the life that we're called to in Jesus. And one, one of the things that you'll learn when you read through the Gospels, I would say that 80% of what Jesus would do with his disciples was actually in action. It was happening as they would go about town to town, as they would share life together, as they would talk to people, minister to people, as they would be by a fire, cooking fish. You know, there's this type of life that he gave to them. And then there's like this 20% of instruction of doing like these teachings, similar to like this, like I'm giving a sermon here. And I would say to us that as we look at our own lives, as we look at our own lives, we need to ask and answer the question, am I apprenticing under Jesus? Because the reality is we're all apprenticing under someone or something. Maybe it's that famous podcaster. Maybe, maybe it's our phones, right? Maybe it's a classmate. We're all coming under somebody's leadership in our lives. But one of the things that we don't realize in the middle of that is we take on that which we submit ourselves and submerge ourselves in. And so is your apprenticeship with Jesus? Because to apprentice with Jesus, to apprentice in the Jesus way, the way of Jesus, means to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so as we we come under his apprenticeship, and as we give ourselves fully to that, it allows us to step fully into the life that he's called us to. And I was reminded of the power of apprenticeship outside of even just the lens of the scriptures and the way of Jesus as I was talking to my good buddy, Jeremy. And Jeremy Rue was, was telling me after he graduated high school how he, was, uh, he apprenticed. And as he did this apprenticeship, what it was was that there was 
on-the-job training, and then there was some classroom time. But it was this 80%, 20% ratio. But one of the things that's kind of disappearing in our culture is the power of apprenticeship. There's just a, a lack of that being as a, a viable option and model. And yet when I think about that, and I think about that outside of the workforce, and I think about that in the way in life with Jesus, and, and I consider what that means to allow others to guide and direct us, not just that we would learn information, though that's part of it, it helps me to understand why I see gaps. And you know what? I think for all of us, we need to look at our own lives. Are we apprenticing under Jesus? Are we coming under who he is and what he has for us? Are we walking with him? Are we submerging ourselves in the truths that are found in the scriptures? Are we a people who are praying and seeking his face? Are we a people that are sharing life together, that are going towards one another and going towards our community? Do we have the kind of relationships like Paul had with Timothy? Because Timothy was apprenticing under Paul. We need those who are ahead of us and those who are behind us. And are we seeking to be those types of people? Because if we're going to lead people in a direction, if we're going to be led in a direction that leads to life, we need to make sure that we're apprenticing under the right master teacher, the right master craftsman, and for our own lives. Because again, the question isn't whether we're apprenticing under someone. It's just a question and a matter of if we're doing an apprenticeship under the right person. And so I want you to be thinking about that. Does this speak to your life? Does this speak to who you are and what you're about? Well, it continues on here. And he says, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And so Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. And he says, don't let anybody look down on you because you are young. And when we hear that, that sounds kind of like fighting words. Don't look down on me because I'm young, right? But for Paul saying this to Timothy, Timothy was young, but Timothy was timid. He was afraid. He was afraid. He's like, I'm too young to be leading this church. And Paul's like, hey, listen, I want you to know God has placed you here. Don't neglect the gift within you, but rather set an example. Set an example. Don't just talk about it. Walk it out. Don't just, you know, tell about it. Show it with your life. Set an example. Let it be known. And he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to preaching, and to teaching. And you know, when we look at Timothy and we hear these words, these are value for us as well. This is valuable for us to enter a place where we're taking in God's word and we're not neglecting our gifts. Now, I want you to know that doesn't mean you need to become a, a preacher or a teacher to do what Paul's talking about here, but rather they're implications for our own lives. Because as we walk in this way, as we do not neglect our gift, we're able to join, join Jesus in what he has for us and to go in the direction that he's called each and every one of us to step into. And Paul was telling Timothy, hey, don't neglect the gift that's within you. So as we think about this, as we think about what we read here, we are to set an example in these areas. And I want us just to read these out loud together on three. One, two, three. Speech, 
conduct, love, faith, purity. And so as you think about this list, think about in your own life, what kind of example are you setting? What is it that you say when no one else is around except your BFF about said person? What is it that you post on social media? And you're like, oh, no, no, that doesn't count. That's social media. That's not the word. What are you posting? What are you saying? How are you talking to people and about people? What's your tone? Are you telling the truth in love? Are you just talking to be heard? I just got to get this off my chest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Talk to your father in heaven like that, okay? We see that all throughout the Psalms, all right? Do that and then go to this person and talk in a way that's loving and honoring speech. And right now, I just want to let you know, the church needs to model this because our culture is at its wit's end. It doesn't matter whether you're at a grocery store, at a restaurant, the way people talk to others and about others. I was at a restaurant uh, on Friday with my wife, and I just was listening to the conversation, not trying to eavesdrop. In fact, I was trying to talk over them so I wouldn't have to hear this because I didn't want to hear as I was eating. But I was reminded, wow, wow, we're objectifying another person. We're dehumanizing people to their face and about them. What's our speech? What is it that we're saying? How are we talking? What's your speech? What's your conduct? What's your life saying? How are you going about what it is that you say is such a priority to you? So not just what you say, but what you do. And is it rooted in an understanding of what Jesus has done for you? Is it rooted in understanding how Christ has paid this great price for you? And are you joining him and allowing him to change you from the inside out? We heard a great message last week about this third one, which is love. Mike did did an incredible job talking about the agape love that we're to model. Are we following in the footsteps of Jesus and loving as he's loved us? Are we loving in such a way where we celebrate others? We call forward what we see and we celebrate it. We're like, man, that's awesome. And then we lovingly, as Paul tells Timothy, point out the things that need to be pointed out. Not pointing our finger at them, but rather coming to them, coming with them. Hey, I see you going this direction. You're hitting a dead end, right? Like you're, you're in the corn maze. You're going the dead end, right? You're going round and round and round. But this isn't leading to a place of life. Faith. Faith says, hey, yes, God, whatever you ask of me, I'm going to do. Faith says, I'm confident and I believe that you're able to do the impossible. Faith says, hey, when, when you ask of me, not only to do something, but when you ask me to trust your heart, even when it doesn't make sense to me, I want to grow in faith. And then purity. Specifically in this context, it's about sexual integrity and purity and understanding the vision that God lays out when it comes to sexuality. And when we talk about sexuality, oftentimes, unfortunately, because our culture and at times the church has done such a bad job of going between worshiping sexuality or shaming sexuality, we don't get the glorious vision of sexuality that the Bible speaks of. But sexuality is a gift that God has given in the context of a covenant between a man and a woman. And we want to redefine what purity is. And, and it's not limited. It's not limited to not hooking up with somebody. 
It goes to our thought lives. What are we thinking about? What are we looking at? What is it that we are doing when we see somebody else? Are we objectifying the other based off what they look like and what they do for us? Because we're looking for a peace that only he can provide. And I just want to say to us, this is not to shame anybody, but come to the light. Come to the glorious gospel of Christ who wants to set us free. But we must get his vision on purity. And this was important for Timothy, who was a young man. And most likely, there were a lot of people like, man, I like that Timothy. Man, and, and Timothy had to recognize, wait a minute, I have a place of a power, a place of position of power and authority. I need to leverage this well. Not for my own gain, not to use people, but to be used by God to help people. And so this is a good challenge for Paul, but this is a good challenge for us all. And in the context of marriage, I just want to encourage every couple here, you need to be on a regular basis talking about the area of sexuality and purity in your marriage. Hey, how are we? Where are we? How are we doing? It's important. (laughs) And the New Testament doesn't shy away from it, not because we're obsessed with it or we're ashamed of it, but because we want Jesus' vision for it. Amen? All right, so here's a question for you. What example does your life set? What example does your life set when you're with your classmates, with your coworkers, when you're at the Starbucks, when you're at the gym? What example does your life set? Because what I've learned with my five-year-old son, Ray, I can tell him a lot of things. And I can try to have a conversation, a meaningful conversation, get down to this level. Right, this is why this is important. And that's important to do, right? I need to do that. But I will say, back to the apprenticeship model, that's about 20% of how I'm going to get through to him. The 80% is the example I set, not only with my words, but with my life. And so we're trying to figure out in this culture that we currently live in where screens are everywhere. Computer screens, TV screens, phone screens. How do we model for Ray how to appropriately deal with screens? And so I was challenged by the Lord. The Lord's like, hey, first of all, it starts with you. How are you doing with screens? <laughs> I'm like, oh. Oh, I thought we were just going to talk about Ray here for a minute. Like, let's get back on subject, you know. Let's talk about Ray. And he says to me, and just whispers in my heart, says, hey, the way to model for Ray is to, when you're with him, to put your phone away and focus. And not only does that mean a lot to Ray, it means a lot to Amy. So one of the things I've tried recently is when I pull up in the driveway from work is to turn my phone off and leave my phone in my bag to have my laptop in it in the car. So if you show up around, you know, 5 o'clock and try to steal it, the door's locked, by the way, all right? So don't, don't get any ideas. But I leave it. I leave it in there until Ray goes to sleep. And I try to just really engage. And then for the next morning, I try to leave it off as long as I can before he gets on the bus, until he gets on the bus. So I try to leave it off until that time. And I've noticed a difference for Ray when I do that. It's not something I told him I was going to do. It's something I showed him that I was going to do. It speaks to him of presence, priority. And he would say to me like, hey, daddy, will you put your phone away? You know, when I'm on my computer, he shuts my computer down. Shut it down. So he says to me, my wife has this running thing that she says to me when I have my phone out. She takes this great song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Amy fies it. She's got a feistiness to her. She says, put it away, put it away now. Put it away, put it away now. Put it away, put it away now. 
In case you don't know that song, look it up. It's great. But she says, hey, put it away. It's her way of saying, put the phone away. But again, what example does your life set? What are you, what is your life saying? And I think for all of us, understanding what it is that Christ has for us to steward it well. And this gets us to the last part of this passage. It says this, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. He doesn't say that so everyone may see your perfection. By the way, good news for us, right? He doesn't say your, your, your perfection, your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So he says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone's going to see your progress. But then he says something that's really important. Watch your life who you're becoming, who you're becoming, what you're about, what you're giving yourself to in your doctrine. And when we hear the word doctrine, we're like, ooh, doctrine. We don't even know what that means sometimes. (laughs) I think I know what that means. But for Paul, he was saying, hey, watch your teaching. What teaching are you embracing? What teaching are you communicating? What is it that you're giving yourself to in that, that way? And you know, and the same thing is true for ourselves our lives we're to watch, but also what teachings we embrace and hold on to. Is it aligned with God's design? Is it aligned with what the scriptures state? Is it aligned with the truth of the gospel, even when the truth doesn't tell me what I want to hear, or it doesn't seem to jive up with my feelings, or what I heard some person, some expert, some friend say to me? Am I going to stand in the truth? Not to weaponize it, but to be liberated. Because Jesus says, if you are my disciple and you hear my teaching and you walk in my teaching, you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 31 through 32. This is about freedom that he's come to give us. He has not come to hold us back. He has come to set us free. And it's a beautiful gift that he gives us through the finished work on our behalf. So as we wrap up here, a couple things I want to give to us. It's not about perfection, but progress. Aren't you glad that that's true? Because so many of us were like, ah, I keep getting caught in my corn maze, <laughs> going around and around and around. Hey, ask someone, hey, is, am I going the right way here? Hey, open your, the Bible. Open the scriptures. Let others into these spaces. Pray. But again, it's not about perfection because none of us are perfect. There's only one who's perfect, and that's Jesus. But Jesus, through his saving grace of us, through what he's done, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, also gives us what's called transforming grace. It's a grace that changes us from the inside out, that maybe we're going this way, but through his power, we can change and be transformed. You may say things like, well, that's just how I'm wired. That's just what I do. That's just my background. All valid answers that you may give to Jesus in your own experience, but he would answer, my grace is greater. <laughs> my grace is greater. Ah, you know, I just don't know. Like, no, my grace is greater. My grace is greater. It's greater than whatever reason you're giving. It's greater. Again, it's not about perfection, but progress. The next part of this is that when we watch our life and doctrine it will, set us, it will set us in a good and godly direction. 
So when we watch closely, closely our life and our doctrine, it's going to set us on a good and godly direction. I don't want us to miss this because we can say, wow, this is the path I want, and this just is about me and God. But when you read through that passage, it's not just about you and God, it's about how it impacts others. It's about how it impacts others because when we truly get the teachings of Christ and we get what he has for our lives and we get how he wants us to join him on his mission, we understand it never is meant to just stop with us and him or just the people in this room. It's always meant to spill out. And so I don't want us to miss that as we work through it because again, this is about us being on a good and godly path good and godly direction. But again, that impacts not only us, but it impacts if we're married, our spouses. It impacts our friends. It impacts our children. It impacts our coworkers. It impacts the people that are make Riverbend Community Church their home. It impacts other followers of Jesus around the world. It impacts others because our lives are interconnected because of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we continue on here, Here's the question we started off with, and it's simply this. What direction is your life going in? What's the direction your life is going in right now? And you may hear a passage like this and hear a teaching like this, and you may come under conviction. I want you to know that's a good thing. It means that God's working in your life. And instead of running from God and running from others when you feel that way, we're called to go towards him with that. Now, if you're feeling condemnation, that is how the evil one works. He likes to take truths and twist them to say something that God is not saying. And one of the ways that we are able to combat against those things is to remember what it is that Jesus has done for us. 